The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs> now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Well, speaking about the most exciting thing that I have right now, um, I don't want to say my life's getting kind of dull as I get older, but uh, I look forward to uh, dental appointments. You know, get to sit there in the desk and, not the desk, the chair. Have the dentist or the dental hygienist talk to me, and I listen, and it's pretty exciting, actually. Recently, I had an exam, and the dentist said, would you like a shot of Novocaine? Because he was going to have to do some stuff. And I said, no, no, not really. He said, you don't, you don't want Novocaine? This is going to hurt. I said, no, no. I don't want any Novocaine. I want to transcend dental medication. All right, it was a stretch. Hopefully it's just a, a little better than what you're going to be. Uh, the, the people over in Ann Arbor are booing me. <laughs> this is Look Back Friday, variant of The Doctor is In. Got the calls up there right now, Lauren, Helen, and Tony. All different life situations that uh, they called in about on previous programs. And they were selected from a bevy of potential look-back calls because within their call was either something that needed more explanation or a term used, or most often the case, I just wanted to speak some more and hear my own voice. So those calls are all up there awaiting being called on a second time, and we will get to that. I uh, recently visited my son, his wife, and uh, their three children, little Nikki, Nikki Garendi, which was the name of my father. My father were alive right now. He would be, he'd just be so happy he has two grandsons with the name Nick. Nick Garendi is his name. And little Nicky was being baptized. He's only a couple couple months old. Andrew and Melissa's daughter, Rose, which was my grandmother's name, was asking about Adam and Eve. And I've often said you got to understand how little kids' minds twist and turn and do backflips, and you got to figure out exactly how it is that they're reasoning the way they are because you can't get in there and follow that train of thought. Rosie was asking about Adam and Eve. Could they sin? And Andrew said, well, they had free will, so they could choose, and they ultimately chose to eat of the true the tree they're not supposed to eat from 
And Rosie said, well, what would have happened if they didn't eat from that tree? Could they then never sin? Andrew said, well, I would imagine they still would have had free will, so they still could have. Rosie was thinking a little bit, and she said, if they didn't eat from the tree, there wouldn't be stairs. Now you're thinking, okay, how did she jump from that? That is not a leap in logic. That's a chasm in logic. There wouldn't be stairs. Andrew said, Rosie, why do you think there wouldn't be stairs? She said, well, because if they didn't sin and they didn't have a, a, a sin way, then we wouldn't either, right? And Andrew said, I suppose. Rosie said, then we wouldn't need stairs because I wouldn't sin and I wouldn't have to sit on the stairs. Now, that does make a certain bit of logical sense if you think about it. suppose you could have told Rosie, well, we use stairs for other things, Rose. But in her little mind, the primary reason for those stairs was as discipline for when she did something she wasn't supposed to do and she got sat on the steps. <laughs> okay, that is how it runs. Speaking of the baptism... Now, Andrew and Melissa, my son and daughter-in-law, were waiting for their little one to be baptized because there was a guy right before him, a little guy right before him. Caroline, the almost three-year-old, was sitting, that, that's a bad use of that term, next to me. My wife was standing in for the sponsor who couldn't make it, so my wife was, was plan B, standing in there. Now, little Caroline was deciding that I don't want to sit. I want to stand on the pew. I want to leave the pew and go out into the aisle and then see how many times I can come back into the pew and then climb over the edge of the pew back out into the aisle. Now, many of you know that I, as a grandparent, follow the rule of I am not going to say anything when the parents are right there. Now, they had their back to me, but they could sense what she was doing. I didn't say anything. Within about a minute and a half of Caroline deciding there was absolutely no way she was not going to be disruptive, my son said, Dad, can you keep her in her seat? And I said, Andrew, are you giving me permission to handle this? He smiled and said, yes. I pulled out a piece of paper that I always have with me as a grandparent, put together by my attorney. Basically says that they acknowledge I have the right to discipline uh, according to my own direction and that they will not in any way comment or sue me because I disciplined in a way that they might not have. And he said, I don't need to sign that, Dad. Okay. 
So this is a verbal agreement. So I picked up Care Care, so they call her Care Care. I sat her on my lap, which she absolutely did not want to sit there. There's no way. Within about a nanosecond, she immediately torqued her body and tried to get away, at which point I simply held her immobile with my arms around her in my lap as she attempted to move and torque. Fortunately, she wasn't yelling or screaming. She was just trying to say, I want to go up and down the pew again. Now, I held her there. It was probably... She, I mean, it was it was not a hold. It was a firm hold. It was a hold of, you're going to sit here on my lap and not be disruptive during this baptism. Now, I don't think, and I, I've never read anything in canon law that says that that would invalidate the baptism. I don't think so. I don't think so. But I just wanted some peace, and I think everybody else did too. So at that point, after about a minute, she kind of eased up on her torquing because she realized this guy's a lot, 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 lot stronger than I am. You know, I used to lift weights, and I still do. I used to lift heavy weights. Now I lift, well, let me put it to you this way. When I was younger, I felt like I was lifting on the moon. Now I feel like I'm lifting on Jupiter. But I am still stronger than the biggest, baddest three-year-old in the whole world. I whispered in her ear, care, care. I'll let you sit on the seat if you stay there. If you don't, I'm going to put you back on my lap again. She didn't say a word. I put her on the seat. She sat the whole rest of the baptism. That was it. Now, how did that work so well? Why didn't she just get off, bounce up, head out into the aisle again? Because the terms were set. You have two options. One, you either sit on grandpa's lap and he will hold you and not allow you to create any disruption whatsoever. Or you sit on the seat. She sat on the seat. She's not even three yet. Two, ten months, something like that. But she sat there. That was it. She didn't cry. She didn't pout. She just sat there. She, she figured, I'm, I'm going to choose this particular option over and above being held. Now, one other point I want to make about this, and this is, I think, a good theological point. In some respects, when God is all love, it's kind of like he embraces us. And when you're hurting or you are wanting love or you're a little kid and your parents hug you and kiss you and comfort you, it's wonderful, is it not? However, if you're in the midst of a temper tantrum and you are resisting your parent or life or authority and you get held in the exact same way, it's aversive. Care Care did not like Grandpa holding her like that. If she would have fallen down and hurt herself and I picked her up and I held her tight like that, she would have probably nuzzled right into me. 
Exact same action. Holding. Interpreted as unwanted in one context and wanted in another. And in a way, that may be how we react to God. If we love him, if we pay attention to him, we want his love. If we don't, if we neglect him or we are hostile toward him and he wants to give us his love, we fight it like a little kid who fights being held in a temper tantrum. I will be back. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. No, I didn't want to give up sin. I mean, the reason we sin is because sin is fun. But it's, it's self-love sin. But it's amazing with God's grace how easy trying to not sin it really is. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. This is Dr. Ray Garendi. No mind doubles here. I pronounce all my difficult words myself. They don't bring in another person to say vicissitudes, mellifluous, onomatopoeia. Good to have you with me on this variant of The Doctor is In. Look Back Friday. So, looking at my clock here, I'm going to go to Laura in Indiana, who says she struggles with self-confidence. I want to believe and trust in God's action in me, and um, yet I'm so doubtful of myself, and I know my shortcomings, that I don't act the part. You know, um, I'm a mother. I'm a um, homeschooler, and I am a wife, and I, I, I do lots of things. 
And only sometimes do I look back and go, wow, that was that was great. Way to go. <laughs> Most of the time, I come in like a mouse. And um, I have to fool myself into thinking otherwise. And I think I'm relying on me too much. And I, I, I think about Mary and about how she really did have humility. And I think about how yet she had to... Um, she had to know her own her own weaknesses and trust in God so much that, that she she believed herself capable of being the mother of God and all that might entail. Laura, and did I, you I email me? Did you email no. me? No? Okay. No, I, I I got a recent email very close to things you're talking about here. Christians have the best self-image. And the reason for that is it's not based upon them. It's based upon the belief that the God of the universe, the creator of it all, has said that Laura is infinitely valuable. Laura doesn't have to believe Laura's wonderful to have a good self-image. She's already been declared of infinite value by someone far beyond Laura in credibility. So if you recognize that, your self-image has a very solid base. Now, the level you struggle with is, well, I, you know, I don't feel competent all the time, and sometimes I screw up, and you know, I'm not really sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and I don't know if I did it really well enough. Does that sound like you? Yeah. Hmm. But along with the whining tone, did I put that whining tone in there pretty good? No, that's one, it's one of my pet peeves. I'll say it more like I'm saying it now. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just say, okay, I think I'm just a jerk, and that's the way it is. Yeah. All yep. right. Part of what's plaguing you on that is you've decided that you set the standard. You've decided that it is ever so important that you don't make mistakes or that you don't have any incompetence in areas that you think are important, like motherhood. So you live kind of unsettled, which is a constant, am I measuring up? Am I measuring up? Am I living the way I should be living? Am I, am I as holy as I should be? Am I the kind of mother I should be? I'll tell you what, Laura, you do that to yourself, and you're going, you're going to be in cognitive agony. Are you doing that to you? Yeah. Oh, my. Well, first of all, I don't know how you decide that God's going to be disappointed in you when you're human. I don't get that. I mean, obviously, as a human being, you're not going to be a perfect mother. You're not going to be competent at everything you try. You're going to commit sins, and you're going to fall short in areas that you wanted to do better. That's existence. I'm not saying that it's okay just to meander through life and do whatever you want. I'm simply saying that's a reality, and God doesn't judge you on that reality. He judges you on the relationship you want to have with him. Are you reaching toward him every day somehow, whatever that entails for you? 
I never look back on my fatherhood of my kids and say, wow, gosh, I was, I should have done this or I should have done that or boy, I fell short there. I, fell. I don't do that. And you know why I don't do that? Because I was human. I, I, I did what I thought was best at the time, given the information I knew. And if it turned out I was wrong or fell short, uh, well, I'm not going to punish myself for it. But see, you, you sound like you punish yourself. Hmm. Why do you do that to you? I wish someone could take it away. You can. You don't have to have somebody take it away. You take it away. I just, and then what do I put in its place? So You put in its place that God believes you are an infinitely valuable human being that he died for. I don't see how your self-image is in any way predicated upon your competence. If that's the case, then it's just going to rise and fall. Your self-image is already established. God established it. You are an infinitely valuable creation of His. And whether you are not the best mom you think you could be, or whether or not you are kind of sloppy in your housekeeping, or whether or not you wish you could be more organized, whatever it is that you beat yourself up over, God's doesn't he doesn't want that. There were a couple things in what Laura said that, uh, of course, jumped out as themes. One of them was, how do I not do that? In other words, I'm really kind of constricted by my emotional thinking. If I worry and wonder about my competence, my ability, my measuring up, then my emotions are going to get to me. That's a, it follows. It follows. It's not, I'm going to think I'm a failure at this, and that's okay because I don't feel bad about that. I mean, that would be nice if she did, but she doesn't. So she is essentially saying, how do I change my thinking? We change our thinking on all kinds of things. You don't think at all like you thought when you were 20 years old. How did you do that? Over time, you realized that the way you thought was either immature, it was wrong. Many of you have come to the faith in your adult years. Well, how'd you do that? Uh, leaving aside God's grace moving you, your thinking changed. You looked at things very, very differently. And what happened? Your misery or your sadness or your anxiety started to dissolve. Why? Because you looked at things differently. Laura's basically saying, well, how do, how, how do I look at things differently? Well, you look at things differently. There's no, how do you look at things differently? You start to talk to yourself and say, why is it so important that I think I can't make mistakes as a mother? In love. Obviously, nothing she said implied she was neglectful or didn't care, I'm going to do what I want to do, and however I mess it up, so what? Those people are going to have to live with me. She did nothing, nothing like that was coming through. What was coming through was her worry and her anxiety over the fact that she might do things that she'd look back on or even for the moment look upon and say, why did I do that? 
Welcome to the club. I watched something today. I I was looking at myself. I we had a, a season twelve for the Living Right with Dr. Ray is, is starting to air. And this particular show is myself and Father Larry Richards. I had him on as basically a co-host. And I was watching myself. I don't like to watch myself at all. And I was watching myself. I'm going, ooh, ooh, I don't like that. Ooh, why did I say it that way? Oh, man, you just done that differently. It was painful, okay? But I recognize that that's all just part of getting better at what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think Laura, she, she just didn't allow herself to struggle to get better by making mistakes. Heresy is not usually a matter of ignorance. It's a matter of arrogance. We're all ignorant. It's only about different things. And when I hear ignorant people say that they're stupid, my heart just breaks. I mean, to be ignorant is not to be stupid. Ignorance is fairly easy to remedy. It's a matter of learning. And St. Paul tells us to increase in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's confident that we can overcome our ignorance of Christ by getting to know him better. And so he prays for the Colossians. We constantly pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and to be fruitful in every good work, always increasing in the knowledge of God. Ignorance can be corrected. One has to die to arrogance. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Father Benedict Groeschel. Ah, oh, I love reverence. Wherever I go in the world, I usually go to visit the religious buildings. And no matter what I see, I see reverence. Or I've been in temples and mosques where I saw more reverence and awe of God than I see in Christian churches, even sometimes in Catholic churches. Oh, yes, let me say it. When I was a boy, Catholics were much more reverent and respectful in church. You never, ever spoke in church. I was a young priest. A man had a heart attack at the beginning of Mass. I stopped the Mass. We prayed for the man while the police were coming, the ambulance. They removed him from the church. He didn't die. Not one word was spoken. The police officers and the ambulance attendants who came whispered, respect. I wish it were true today. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Expanding your super ego while shrinking your id. You little Freudian lingo there. I just want to just piggyback a moment upon what Laura said. When we get too caught up in viewing our competence in our faith walk or our skills or comparing ourselves to others, we're, we're kind of leaving behind a little bit what matters most in life, which is our relationship with God, because all this other stuff is really going to end. 
I'll draw a small parallel. Just tiny, tiny, tiny parallel. I still play softball. At my age, I am nowhere near as fast as I was younger. Can't hit the ball anywhere near as hard or as far. And clearly am the old guy out on the mound among guys that are in their 20s. Some of them in their late teens. Now, if I said to myself, because they, they want me to play. I mean, if they didn't want me to play, then I'd be gone. But they want me to play because I can throw strikes. If I said to myself, yeah, but, but gee, I mean, the last time I hit a double, I think, was uh, 2019. Okay, I'm content with just singles now. Boy, what a what a what a bad player I am. Now, if I did that, I would have quit a long time ago. And I would have stopped myself from enjoying the game. As long as they want me to play, and as long as I'm still able to play, then I can play. But if I start to compare myself to these young guys who can rip the ball and can and can throw a strike from back at the fence into second base where I'd have to throw it and bounce it nine times and have it roll in, I'd have quit a long time ago. So the reality that I tell myself is, what do I expect? I oftentimes say it takes two singles to score me from third these days. All right, let's go to, oh boy, I'm going to have to probably carry this over. Helen from Michigan has a four-year-old granddaughter who's got a phobia. Well, you, when you say her parents are doing what they can, what are they doing? Well, uh, when it first started happening, her dad was very laid back, and he said, oh, that just fly, that fly just wanted to say hi, and just encouraged her to just ignore it. You know, he was he was really cool about it, and I think my daughter, too. But it has not extinguished any behavior. And then at one point, I said, maybe you could give her a spray bottle full of water and tell her if that's bothering you, just spray it away. That did not work at all. No? So Why would she, she didn't want the bottle? There's nothing better for her kids than to go outside and play. And it's, it's a problem right now. She didn't want the bottle? No, she didn't want the bottle. No, mm. my daughter said that did not work at all. I mean, as soon as there was a bug, she, you know, flung the bottle away and covered her face with her hands and started uh, fussing. So how how really, fussy does she, she fuss? She really seems to be terrified, and we're not sure how this started or why it's happening. Well, well, because well fussing is, is different than terrified. How fussing did she fuss? I well, my daughter has uh, described a meltdown. So okay. and and she was over here the other day. We were doing some fun things outside, and she wanted no part of it. She, so what'd she you do? Know, sit in the house? Was on the swing for a few seconds, and then wanted to get in the car and go home. Well, then what did you do? So, well, they were on their way home to begin with, so they did get in the car and go home. Oh, but, see, I would have stayed you know, outside. They, they are not giving into this behavior as I far would as have I stayed. can see, okay, here's, it's, here's it's part really of it. cramping their style. Well, I think part of it is, I can't say, I don't know all the dynamics and all this. I'll speak generically. Little kids develop quirk phobias. Yes. Something something freaks them out, you know, some big bug yep. landed on her arm and she freaked out. Now all of a sudden it's just anything that remotely looks like a bug is going to freak her out. That's and it. In, in adults, when they have circumscribed phobias, if you want to call it that, if they, if they have exposure to the phobia, 
and especially exposure with somebody beside them. That's the best way to handle it. Sure. Most most adults won't do that. They don't like the phobia, so they're just going to avoid it. Yeah. A little kid has parents. So what I would do is, first of all, I would make outside look like the most wonderful thing in the world. I'm wow. going to go out there, and I'm going to have ice cream. And okay. if she has brothers or sisters, they're going to get ice cream. She does. And, okay. And they're going to get hers because she's not coming out. <laughs> Okay. And furthermore, she's not going to be able to roam the house. She's going to have to just sit in the chair and watch us outside, uh-huh. having a good time. And we'll just tell her, hey, you don't have to come out if you don't want to. It's okay. okay. But I'll tell you what, we're going to do all kinds of neat stuff. And I would look for ways to be out there. And if she's, she's standing by the sliding glass door and her uh-huh. parents say, I'll tell you what, if you want to come out, I'll take you by the hand and you come out and you sit next to me. And if there's right. any bugs, we'll just we'll just shush them away. That should work. It really should. I think what happens in uh-huh. cases like this, Helen, is the parents bounce around. Well, we tried this, it didn't work. We tried that, it didn't work. We tried this, it didn't work. We did this, it didn't work. We tried that, it didn't work. And what happens is they're frustrated because the kid has gotten herself on a roll. She's just convinced in her little four-year-old mind, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, this is awful, this is terrible. Well- this past weekend, someone else, not her parents, threatened her with a bug. Oh, that's cold. Which was not helpful. No, that's cold. That was yeah. that was very uncool. And her dad said, we do not parent with fear tactics. Don't ever do that again. Well, I would disagree with her dad. Because, first of all, he <laughs> does parent with fear tactics. It's just how you define fear. Yeah, yeah. Well, in other words, I don't if she would have threatened her by letting a bug in the house. No, but, I, but but that no. he he said we don't we don't parent by that fear tactic. But he yeah, parents by yeah. fear tactics. I mean, if if she if she doesn't if she disobeys, he's going to stand her in the corner. Well, that's in sure. a way you can call that a fear tactic because I'm going to make you stand in the corner. <laughs> I suppose so. Sure. Okay. So given that, they need to make outside look wonderful. And they mean to make her not roam the house and occupy herself. No, no, no. She's got to sit there and just watch them having fun. And furthermore, they can say, oh, you want to come out with us, honey? Come on. Come on out. We'll we'll, we'll sit together. Uh You can sit right by me kind of thing. Right. And then if she freaks out, you can say, okay, go back inside because we're going to have more ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll work. Well, the other thing, too, is it does sound like they weren't supportively strong in keeping her outside. In other words, if she says, I have to get in the car and go, well, they were getting ready to leave anyway. But if they didn't have to leave, they could have stayed for another 10 or 15 minutes outside. I think there's a component here I want to address after the after the break, and then I want to draw a parallel between... Laura's call, who struggled with self-confidence, and when Laura said, well, well, how do I change this thinking? And Helen's call regarding her four-year-old granddaughter, and how do they change that conduct? There are parallels. If you want to hear them, you better stick around.
60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope. The Fifth Commandment, you shall not kill. At the heart of this commandment is an absolute insistence on the sacredness of human life. We read in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I ever formed you in the womb, I knew you, says the Lord. So every human life is sacred because it's caught up in the mind and the heart and the will and the love of God. And no matter how we're conceived or any circumstances, God has always known and loved every human person. And for this reason, we are to hold sacred every human life. We are, therefore, to never murder, never kill, never seek vengeance. Of course, we have issues of abortion and euthanasia today, and we have so many ways where we in some way disrespect the lives of other human persons, and even our own life. We have to learn to respect it as a great gift from God. The Fifth Commandment, you shall not kill. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Connection with Teresa Tomio. People have this false notion that after the Supreme Court came out with, of course, Roe v. Wade and gave us abortion on demand through nine months of pregnancy, that all of a sudden all of these regulations were put into place. When all of these independent abortion facilities popped up all over the country, when Planned Parenthood started opening its doors and doing abortions legally after 1973, that it was always so safe and wonderful. And they believe this because they don't see these stories about the botched abortions, the women who have lost their lives, the women who have been violated because their information has been tossed out in the street with the garbage and the medical waste, not to mention the fact that the regulations that are on the books are not even enforced and rarely are these facilities inspected and yet people think that they're so safe. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. I appreciate you being with me on this Look Back Friday version of The Doctor Is In. Monday through Friday, the program comes to you. It's a co-production of Ave Maria Radio Communications and the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I had a couple of comments I wanted to make about the situation with the little granddaughter being so afraid of bugs. I think one component in this is that typically parents are afraid of quote-unquote pushing a child beyond their psychological limits. Helen, grandma, said that if this little one had to go outside, she would melt down. She would she would start fussing was the word she used. Now, again, I, I would really want to know how intense the fuss was. Did it drift into a meltdown? And grandma then said she was terrorized. Well, again... Is that a continuum? But anyway, so I think that there's a component of the parents saying we're really nervous about pushing her beyond something that would uh, cause emotional damage in her. Okay. So I, my experience is the little kids aren't as emotionally fragile that way as, as parents have been scared to believe. But I want to draw a parallel between... Helen's call and Laura's call. Laura's call was that I 
I struggle with self-confidence in all kinds of areas. I'm always wondering if I'm measuring up, if I'm making mistakes, if I'm looking incompetent, what's wrong with me, that I do that right, that I do this right. And I made a suggestion to Laura that she needs to start changing her thinking and realizing that all the ways that she's creating a lot of emotional distress for herself is based upon the way she's looking at everything. That it would see it would be so bad and so awful and so terrible to make a mistake or to or to have to reassess some motherhood move or to have sinned in some way for the nine hundred and fifty fourth time and beginning to wonder if in fact she really does love the Lord because nine hundred and fifty four is a lot of times to sin. I can get that many in in a short period of time. So what happens with her in changing her thinking is a parallel to what can happen with little granddaughter. Little granddaughter is ultimately going to find out that the vast, vast, vast majority of these bugs that fly around her, and by the way, I've heard statistics that the weight of insects in the world is many, many, many times the weight of human beings. So there's a lot, 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 lot more of them than there are of us. They're all over the place. I forget how many species of insects have been identified. Well, let me, I know I'm digressing, but let me just give you this particular statistic. Beetles. There are 10,000 species of beetles. And that's one insect. So there's no way the little daughter is going to ever, 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 ever avoid insects. Not even in the house, because they get in the house. And I, for the life of me, don't know how they get inside those sealed up light fixtures. I've laid in bed many nights pondering that. So little granddaughter is going to effectively change her thinking. She's not anywhere near as cognitively sophisticated as Laura, but she's going to find out that all these things that she thinks are so fearful are not fearful. Why? Because they didn't do any damage to her. I know we could we could say in the extreme, okay, a Lyme tick, Dr. Ray, could do damage and a mosquito could carry some disease. Yes, okay, that that is possible. Highly unlikely just in the normal course of playing outside. We do all kinds of things that are possibly risky, but highly unlikely so we don't constrict our lives. You know, the the number one killer of young people is car accidents. Well, we still get in cars. So, little four-year-old granddaughter is going to have her thinking altered as she is exposed to the outside, and to bugs. And I would imagine that the first time one lands on her forearm, she's going to be upset. She'll she'll panic and she'll slap at it and she'll try to brush it off real fast and she'll get all scared, scared, scared. As long as it's flying 17 feet away, she might feel reasonably safe. But her thinking will change. And her thinking will be even though she may not be able to state it with this sophistication. Oh, I don't have anything to be afraid of. I am 
way, 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 way bigger than they are. And they don't hurt me. A mosquito might make me itch a little bit. Now, again, many people are terrified of bees. They fly around. We panic with bees. For the most part, if you don't bother a bee, he'll leave you alone. But the bees, yeah, okay, you can be you can be nervous about that. And, and some people do have a anaphylactic reaction to them. But but short of that, little granddaughter is going to reshape the way she thinks. Right now, in her mind, the fear has been created by the way she thinks. There is no real fear to speak of. And once she rethinks that, the emotion will go away. The same thing with Laura. Once Laura starts to get a more realistic view of what it means to be human, what it means to be able to make mistakes and to even sin and to mess up situations or to be comparatively not as good as somebody else in so many other ways, once she starts to understand and accept that, her emotions will follow. They'll change. What she called a lack of self-confidence was really a distress, an anxiety, and a discomfort that somehow she was telling herself she wasn't measuring up. A lot of parallels there. But here's the irony. The four-year-old looks like she has something a little more psychologically intense than what Laura talked about. But in fact, the four-year-old will be much, much quicker at altering her thinking regarding the bugs than we grown-ups are at altering our thinking regarding our struggles with any kind of self-acceptance and peace. All the advice, none of the bills. Come in. The doctor is in. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? Even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Can smelling certain scents improve our memories? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. When my wife and I had COVID in late 2020, we both lost our sense of taste and smell. In my case, I continued to have issues with my sniffer for a few months. Then I read a study that suggested smelling bold scents could help restore the connection between the nose and the brain. Sure enough, smelling fresh lemons every day seemed to help me recover. No wonder I love the aroma of lemons and incense. Another study, though, indicates that older folks who smelled fragrant essential oils got better sleep and improved memory and thinking. Brain scans confirm they got better. Be careful, though. Some essential oils can be harmful if inhaled over time. Always consult your doctor. 
Side note, from Genesis 2 to Revelation 18, there are more than 200 references to perfume, odor, and smell. For more on the study, look for our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Real quick, we're up against time. Let's go to Tony from Iowa. I've heard you talk multiple times about how when people are mulling over getting a divorce and sometimes that can be complicated by the fact that maybe one or both spouses aren't maybe making a substantial effort to live faithfully as Catholics. And a lot of times they don't, you've mentioned how they don't really think about the ramifications like like the fact that now their kids are going to be in a household with their ex-spouse and who knows who he or she might be bringing in as a, as a significant other or a future spouse and that kind of thing and things like that. And I came across a couple of statistics. The second of one I just found really, <clears throat> excuse me, found really arresting, and I just wanted to kind of get your reaction as far as whether or not it's reliable information. But anyway, the, the one was that when kids are in foster care, that they're 10 times more likely than average to suffer sexual abuse. However, when kids have parents who divorced and one of the parent and they're living with a divorced parent who now has a, a live-in boyfriend or live-in girlfriend, that those kids are 20 times more likely than average to suffer sexual abuse. Where'd you come across that, Tony? That was in a documentary that I found that was an anti, uh, it was a documentary that was anti-pornography and human trafficking. And they were talking about how a lot of the girls who get into this or, or who have been trafficked uh, were uh, suffered sexual abuse as kids. And then it, it led to other things down the line. Uh, I mean, a lot of other factors too, but, but anyway, they mentioned that, that you see a lot of these girls were uh, either molested by somebody who was, while they were in foster care or by like their, their dad's live-in girlfriend or by their mom's live-in boyfriend. I've seen the statistics. I don't know the exact 10 times, 20 times, but I have seen the statistics that as you move away from what used to once be called and accepted the traditional family, man, woman, children, you're right. You raise the risk. You raise the chances of this kind of thing happening. I don't know that 10 times figure with kids in foster. I don't know how much of that can be attributed to the parent or another kid in the home. Uh, a lot of the foster kids, sadly, have been sexualized very early in life. And uh, one of the reasons why they've been pulled out of their homes was that they've been either sexually abused or they've been exposed to sexual behavior that has stripped them of their innocence and, and uh, hypersexualized their interest. So I've seen a lot of that. Okay, I've seen kids in foster care that are, in fact, poor, poor things, eight years old, and they know way more 
than any eight-year-old should know. So you're right. I that I don't I don't doubt that. The the more that there is a tentative relationship between a child's parents and a live-in boyfriend, it's more often the boyfriend than the girlfriend. The the, the girlfriend is far far less likely to abuse. But a living boyfriend, you know, an uncle, quote unquote. Yeah, I've seen those statistics. And you're right. It is. It's a factor that most people don't think about. They don't. And I've said this often to people when they're they're thinking of walking out in a marriage. I'll say, okay, now you understand there's going to be a lot of things you can't control. And you will not be able to control who the children's mother or father links up with. That's exactly right. There's no question about that. As far as the 10 times, 20 times, yeah, I don't know exactly where they got those numbers, Tony. I, I wouldn't know. And I, I, don't, I don't know if you can put that specific a number on it, but I think the safer thing to say is, yeah, it's definitely increased. Yeah, it's just you, you've said in the past, I, I, you know, if people, if they're able to stay married or, or just you know, be the best version of themselves and do everything they can do to to stay married and try to play ball and kind of, you know, work on the situation that they really should make that effort, kind of like you said, because they don't know the, the things that they won't be able to control in the future if it, if it does come to divorce. And I thought, man, alive, that statistic alone, as far as, you know, that, that would be reason enough for me to counsel any friend, you know, who might be going through that to say, hey, do whatever you can to stay married, honestly. I, it just that, that just blew me away. There are a lot of people listening to us, Tony, right now, who are thinking, I didn't want a divorce. It was forced upon me. And that's tragic. Tragic. I see it in my office all the time. There are also people listening who say, I have to get a divorce. There's pathology. There's alcoholism. There's abuse. There's nastiness. There's violence. I got got it for the safety of myself and my children. That too. However... An interesting statistic here that they estimate that approximately 70 to 80 percent of divorces are, and if you want to summarize it simplistically, I just don't like you anymore. Oh, I ran up against a very, very, very short period of time comment. You can always bring more peace to yourself, you can always find ways. To get along uh, and not distress yourself as much in a marriage that seems so unpleasant with a spouse that seems so critical so hard to get along with so emotionally distant you, you still have great power great power to bring your own level of contentment upward I know that may sound unrealistic but you can do that even if it just simply means working on not being so upset at the way your spouse is. But that sounds foreign, and that's a topic for a future manologue. Thanks for visiting with me. However, many minutes you were here. Walk with God, and that will help. That will help your self-confidence. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.